prosecution outlined how accounting practices fuck? What? what kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'll be in a museum. And fucking fodder for cartoonists now. It's another round for Gutter Boys. Gutter Boys is a small press comics podcast about the ins, the outs, the highs, and the lows of making comics. I'm your host, JB, with my co-host, Cam. On this episode, we're joined with our very special guest, famed cartoonist, Alex Graham. Yeah, pretty pretty good episode. Yeah, pretty good episode. Alex is great. Very, very, uh, I would say, very much in our lane. Uh, in yeah. Ter- <laughs> yeah. Uh, however, she's a retired- Wait till the haters hear this one. Yeah. <laughs> She's a retired poster, so I think she appreciates some of the shit that we... Yeah. Isn't she a retired poster? She is. She uh, I, she got rid of her Twitter, and uh, I, I think she has a Twitter, but like it's a business-only Twitter now. Yeah, 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 yeah. For the best, I guess. I think we talked about that. It was we about did. a we couple did. weeks ago, so yeah, we get into that. But um, yeah, we're going to keep it short here. Future of Gutter Boys, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting few months, y'all. Um, but uh, we're going to be sticking around for the time being. Uh, next episode has Bridget Bilbo. I'm not on that episode, unfortunately. Um, yeah, you want to explain why that? <laughs> it's a pretty. My funny dad's story. a fucking boomer, and uh, I'm on his cell phone plan. Like we pay him every month, but like it's his account because it's cheaper to have like a family line. So he was getting my partner a replacement phone, but in the process of like clicking shit online, he shut my phone off and sent the new phone to me. So my number went into like an inactive state and I didn't have service for a couple days. And now I have a temporary number until I send this new phone that has my old number back to Sprint, which will be tomorrow. <laughs> and They're going to give me my old one back. And uh, yeah, so I was pretty much like locked out of uh, anything involving a phone. And because Instagram has my old cell phone number, I could not log in on my iPad because it was sending a text to my old number. So I couldn't even get a hold of JB for like 36 hours. It was <laughs> There was a moment where we thought you died. <laughs> yeah, the group chat literally thought I died because I could not get into any of my accounts because of that two-factor authentication shit. Twitter did let me in because apparently this is just like some luck of the draw shit. But if you're not Twitter blue now, you can't use two-factor authentication. So I was able to get into Twitter via like a lost password recovery email thing. Um, so that was cool. But yeah, Instagram, I'm locked out of until... I guess this drops and I get my phone tomorrow. So if you've messaged me on there, I haven't seen it. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, I'll be on the intro for that episode. And then um, Kevin Budnick will be on the show, too, eventually. And then uh, once Gina Winbrandt's comic actually physically arrives to her, we'll get them on. Yeah. In, in the meantime, if you want your Gina Winbrandt fix, you can go over to Thick Lines. Yes. Uh, I think she was the most recent guest over there. They dissected, uh, I was talking to Katie the other day, and they dissected Chester Brown's uh, Paying For It, which is his autobio book about being a John and uh, his relationship with prostitutes. Katie told me, I don't know if this is like uh, something I'm not supposed to say, but whatever, it's not that bad. Chester is apparently preparing a written response with his boomer ass uh, (laughs) to the episode. I don't even know where he's going to post it because he doesn't have socials, but she heard through the grapevine that he listened to the episode and he is drafting up a response. Damn, it was that bad? (laughs) I I didn't think so. But I mean, I feel like when that book came out, he was very adverse to any criticism at all that was thrown its way. So... Uh, that seems to be a sore subject for him, Dude, and I think it's because... I don't understand why, though. Like, what did you expect? <laughs> yeah, I 
I really don't know. Um, but yeah, but trust me, if Chester Brown uh, issues a written statement, even if it dogs on our friends over at Thick Lines, we will be reading it here on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, go check out Gina on that show. Uh, in the meantime, you got some shirts coming out or some shit, right? Yeah, yeah. So this uh, this next drop, it's gonna be uh, our favorite problematic boy, Chrissy Maltasanti. Neck brace, Chrissy. Yeah, as he is in uh, season one with his neck brace on uh, at the funeral. I think that was from what was that episode three? I think it was. Th- that's three. I, I'm on episode ten of season one. I started rewatching like three days ago. Yeah. And yeah, it's whenever the feds get the pictures of him for the first time and Meadow like looks over at the graveyard and oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. gives That's, the face yeah. to AJ. Right. Like, oh, see, what, why are they your uncles and they're not even related? Yeah, yeah. Right. right yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's three. It's before college for sure. The college yep. episode yeah, before yeah. that. It is. Yep. Yep. So. Yeah. So uh, that'll be out at the end of the month and that will be probably the last release that I do. For a while, at least, because I'll be starting a job here soon, full time as a uh, mid-level designer for uh, an actual merch company. And, yes. uh, you know, there's probably going to be some conflict of interest there if any of their clients found out I was like, you know, hawking fan made merch or whatever. So so follow my shell company that I've set up for JB, Mort <laughs> Pimp Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna. I still have some extras from Halloween and a couple of other things, and I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do with those once the the doors close. So uh, I got to figure something out here real quick. Otherwise, I'm gonna be sitting on a box of shirts, and yeah. So yeah, uh, Gutter Boy shirts might look a lot like more crimp media shirts. Uh, <laughs> well, no, because that will yeah. still be tied back to me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'd have to find. I I would more than likely just have to find another uh, fan merch account. Who'd be mm-hmm. willing to sell it? But I don't. I don't think that's going to be a thing, honestly. Yeah, and that sucks because I feel like I don't know about your current day job, but I feel like a lot of creative day jobs have that little fucking fine print in their contracts. Like anything that's come up under your tenure with this company technically belongs to the company. Like any designs and shit. I don't know if they're going to hit you with that, but I've heard of apparel companies doing that to you. Yeah, they're not. They're not super strict about that. Like I know I'll probably still be able to freelance if I wanted to. I think the main issue is you know, making unlicensed fan-made merch and then selling it under my name or anything tied to my name. And that could be... Indirect competition with what you're actually getting paid to make for the company. Well, more so the fact that it could raise some red flags for clients or even potential clients who are looking to work with ah, that company. Yes, yes. So, the, yeah, it's, it's more of just like trying to play it safe in that way. But they're not going to be... They're not saying I can't work outside of their company it's more so the, you know, selling the unlicensed shit, so. You're just going to walk into a Target and start seeing uh, Japanese wrestling shirts. And- <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think they have any wrestling uh, licenses, at least not from what I can tell. It's mostly, like, anime, manga. Yeah. WWE, I feel like, keeps that shit in-house. So yeah. So, they own they everything, pretty definitely, much. So. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, but, yeah, it's funny, too, because I'm pretty sure they have the Beetlejuice license and I actually have done official designs for Beetlejuice for a different company but that was like Mm -hmm. a couple years ago so there's no real conflict of interest there but still it's funny yeah well uh I said it to you earlier but congratulations on uh returning to the workforce something we all want to do fucking sucks (laughs) yeah um (laughs) no I am grateful for the the opportunity I mean they approached me and it was a good gig and and you know I was I was able to uh, wrangle out a, a pretty decent wage out of it, too. That's what's up. So, you know. 
Yeah, nothing wrong with the day job, folks. Uh, we got some flack on Twitter a couple months ago because we made a meme about commissions and people said, oh, you guys don't want artists to make money? Look at us. We're getting regular jobs now. We're, we've fallen so far. We have to, <laughs> we can't even resort to commissions. But uh, yeah, so uh, support JB's Last Hurrah, Mort Crimp Media on Instagram. And uh, mm-hmm, after you've mm-hmm. done that, you can throw us some money at patreon.com forward slash gutterboys. I should have uh, the books for physical tier subscribers in hand by the last week of February. And I'll be shipping those out shortly uh, with your membership cards. And oh, I've got yeah. a couple extra stickers. So uh, as long as there's enough to go around, a uh, nice little package coming to you all. And if you want to subscribe for the next round of physical items, uh, gutterboys.top or patreon.com forward slash gutterboys. Lots of bonus episodes. I'm sure if you're a long-term listener, you're tired of the spiel. But if you do want to support us financially and uh, improve the odds of the show staying around, you will kick us some money. <laughs> Yeah. Well, at this point, it might not even be a matter of money. It might just be time. It might just be... It it might be time. And maybe it'll be a floating, revolving door of me and JB when he can come back, you know, and do the show. But uh, I don't know. Or or we'll just call it a day at episode 100. Yeah. We got a lot of evaluating to do here at Gutter Boys headquarters, and uh, we will keep you updated. Money does talk. Let's be Money definitely (laughs) talks. So if you want to... Look, this is episode 95. Okay, so that leaves you with five more episodes before we consider hanging it up. Yeah, Uh, that's 10 weeks. So I think this threat would probably be more viable if there weren't already like two or three pretty good comics podcasts now. Yeah. Well, you know, what's fucked up is um, I was talking to members of those other podcasts and just being like, you know, we're in a we're in a place where we can leave and you all will be okay with, you know, carrying it on. And uh, we never really, I guess, had time to... Uh, people think we suck, but if we leave it 100, <laughs> it's not beating a dead horse. Like, I feel like we're right. not beating a dead horse yet. But they were like, no, 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 don't end the show. Don't end the show. So we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, like I said, it, yeah. it just depends, you know? It well, just depends. <laughs> I think, wasn't like uh, Jerry, our editor on our bonus episodes, was just like, I'll do it for free. I'll do it for... Don't just, quit. Just keep <laughs> just the show going, quit. yeah. <laughs> Uh, which was really funny. I was like, no, we're not doing that, bro. No. And we have like uh, 15 books to shout out. So I promise we'll get around to that. And oh, we will yeah. make sure that before the show ends, you will be shouted out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you, if you sent us stuff, we got it. We're sitting on it. We will talk about it. It's just, uh, you know, crunch time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you want us to continue, put your money where your mouth is. Gutterboy. Patreon.com forward slash gutterboys. Yes. But enough of that. Uh, let's get into the main event. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll be joined with our special guest, Alex Graham. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Meow. Meow. Sid the Cat magazine is out now. If you've ever been to an amazing rock and roll show and thought, I wish I could experience this moment again, but in comic form, then Sid the Cat magazine is for you. Fiercely independent show promoter Sid the Cat have joined forces with comics journalist Andrew Greenstone to bring you an ongoing publication that documents the SoCal indie rock scene. This stunning 52-page full-color magazine features comics, articles, photos, and illustrations from a rotating cast of local illustrators and writers. It's a celebration of Sid's artists and venues and supports those keeping the bleeding edge of the indie music scene alive. Our first issue covers musical artists Big Thief, Illuminati Hotties, Mike Kroll, Fucked Up, Finn Lilly, Katie Kirby, Kate LeBon, Cursive, Christian Lee Hudson, No Win, and so many more. If you are a fan of comics, indie music, zines, rock reports, or community by the way of culture, order a copy now at SidTheCat.com forward slash Sid 
dash zine. Again, that's sidthecat.com forward slash sid dash zine. And now a few words from our sponsors, the Santo Sisters. Review is a quarterly comics lit magazine featuring serialized and short form comics from some of the most exciting cartoonists in the small press scene today. Volume 1 features work from Gutter alums, M.S. Harkness, Audra Stang, and Caleb Arecchio, along with work by Andrew Greenstone, Sean Knickerbocker, and Juan Jose Fernandez. You can order your copy of Rust Belt Review today by going to rustbeltreview.org. Enter in promo code GUTTER to receive two bucks off your order. Again, that website is rustbeltreview.org. Promo code GUTTER. Athenium Comic Art is an original art website for some of the best cartoonists in the business. They currently represent Remy Boydell, Marie Capel France, Nicole Gu, Jonathan Hill, Emma Hunsinger, Casey Nowak, Micah Song, and Tilly Walden. Athenium Comic Art gives fans the opportunity to own original piece of art from their favorite comics and support the artists that they love. In their short time in business, they've already shipped many iconic pages out to hardcore fans across the globe. Don't miss out on your chance to own a one-of-a-kind piece of history. Check out their website, AtheniumComicArt.com, and type in Gutter Gang at checkout to receive free shipping on your first order. Again, the website is AtheniumComicArt.com, and the code is GutterGang. loves underground comics everybody loves underground comics and if you know people who don't love underground comics and only read the mainstream comics immediately report them to your local comic book store and find them with copies of clusterfox comics clusterfox comics is a black and white underground anthology comic scene featuring some of the best underground comics creators today creators like cameron zavala eric jasek brian judge miguel aguilar adam yeter jason cavelli umberto tonella anna peterson tony de pasquale Drewby Hall, and so many more. Issues 1 through 4 are available now, with the fifth issue debuting in early 2023. Purchase your copies today at clusterfuckscomics.bigcartel.com. And that's comics with an X. Clusterfux Comics. Comics you can clusterfux with. Morning, Gary. 
Morning, Mary Ann. Need a menu? Nah, I'll just have the usual. You sure do love your eggs and coffee, Gary. Best way to start your morning, Mary Ann. Well, that and an issue of Town and County. What's that? Town and County is a new comic series written and drawn by cartoonist Alex Nall. He's that guy that wrote them books about teaching and that Mr. Rogers feller. Oh, he was such a nice man. The first issue is 36 pages of black and white comic stories with beautiful color covers and features six stories about folks in our little township here in Illinois. Like Susie Barber, the house cleaner that uncovers her client's dirty laundry, if you know what I mean. And Stanley Pepper, that big feller that just lost his job and took to drinking every night at Bugs's Tavern. Well, ain't that something? Town & County is published by Ivy Terrace Press, headquartered in Chicago. Chicago? Who would want to live there? So dirty. Each issue comes with a copy of The Hometown Hero, our little town's newsletter, and it's only $8. $8? Where can I get it, Gary? You can order a copy of Town & County on the internet at storeenvy slash alexnallcomics. Oh, there's your breakfast, Gary. Thanks, Mary Ann. Ah, nothing like a cup of coffee and a good comic book. The Last Aviatrix is a post-nuclear adventure comic by independent Los Angeles-based cartoonist Buster Cagle. The story follows Summer, our last aviatrix, who pilots the sole surviving airplane, a nuclear-powered B-29, as she travels the ruined world finding ways to survive and help humanity while dealing with the imminent threat of the Atomborn, a rare breed of atomic wizards that want to see her out of the sky. Her mission becomes complicated when she accidentally picks up Henry, an Atomborn child who wields incredible power, and Clementine, a berserker on a quest for vengeance. Can our aviatrix survive this ruined and irradiated waste Land? Every issue can be read for free on BusterKegel.com slash comics. Paper copies can be ordered as well, but, you know, you can still read it for free. If you like Wizards or Warplanes, go check it out. Now, back to our program. And welcome back from the break. Today we are joined with a very special guest today, uh, Alex Graham. Uh, you know Alex from the book Dog Biscuits, as well as the uh, current publication, The Devil's Grin, and uh, for the amazing paintings that uh, she does. So you might be familiar with her work, I'm sure, if you've been a long time listening to the show. Uh, you've definitely heard us talk about it. Uh, but Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Hell yeah. Really are you uh, in uh, Denver still or Colorado? No, nope, I'm in Seattle. Seattle. Okay, okay. Were you in Denver? Oh, yeah. I grew up in Denver. Okay, gotcha. For some reason, I connected you with there for some reason. So um, I guess I, d I didn't pull that out of nowhere. Um, how long have you been in Seattle? For, I think, going on five years now. Oh, okay. Do you like it so, there, I guess? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> uh, the, the current place that I'm living, we moved here right at the start of the pandemic. And like... It's probably the worst place we've lived here in Seattle so far because uh, it's not near anything. Like, there's not a good coffee shop nearby. 
There was a cool bar next door that I was showing my art at for like seven months straight, and they just shut down at the beginning of oh, this fuck. year. That sucks. Yeah. So, um, and and I'm not near. I I used to live near like a really beautiful running route here, and and it was right by the uh, waterfront and stuff. But uh, we don't live near a running around at all, so I haven't been running anymore. Yeah, I, I'm kind of getting antsy to move away from this place, but um, I love. Seattle in general, there's a really great comic scene out here, obviously, and I've made a lot of like my career, my art career just skyrocketed as soon as I moved out here. I miss Denver, but Denver doesn't really have a vibrant art scene or a comic scene. Has a little bit of a comic scene, but yeah, I know you were there, and I guess uh, Dan's there with Kilgore, but um, besides that, I'm pretty ignorant to what's going on there. I only know one person in Colorado who was originally from Denver, Colorado. That's a cartoonist, uh, Matt Allison, who does Cancor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So was it pretty, you know, I guess we'll kind of go chronologically coming up in Denver. Did you go to school and everything like art school there, college? Yeah, I grew up in a place called Commerce City because we inherited this little house from my great grandmother. So, um after living in a bunch of different apartments as when I was a little kid, when I was about seven years old, we moved into this house in a place called Commerce City that the landmark of that place is the Purina Dog Food Factory. Oh, I bet it smells great. Oh, oh yeah. Every morning when I got out of the car to go to school, you could smell dog food in the air. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in my hometown, so, we had a dog food, um, the Hill Dog Food uh, Company is there. Uh-huh. and especially when it rained it was so bad like the whole town just had this like gross like fog and it was like just constantly just dog food smell yep disgusting yep yep and when you think of colorado you think of like beautiful skyline and mountains and you you could see those from commerce city but they were very far away but the primary thing you could see on our horizon was a bunch of factory uh horizon outlines like just factories everywhere it kind of reminds me of uh if you've ever seen Eraserhead by David Lynch. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of what Commerce City is like. No shit. Okay. So um, have you, do you visit, like, do you still have family there? Do you go back and visit that area? I haven't been back to Colorado since I left and okay. we're planning on going back to visit my in-laws and some of my old friends, but I don't talk to anybody in my family anymore because they're all Trumpers, like mm. crazy oh, Trumpers. Huh. Yeah. Like, cause, well, well, my immediate family is all like Alex Jones, uh, <laughs> oh, like, shit. like, uh, what do you call it? Um, his company. Infowars. Infowars. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like my, the last photo I saw of my brother, he was wearing an Infowars shirt. <laughs> Fuck, and man. Uh, when I still <laughs> talk to my, when I still talk to my family, they were like always gifting me Infowars supplements, like blue colloidal oh, silver. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I've Fuck. taken InfoWars brand colloidal silver in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta be FDA approved. Holy fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I hear that though. So, you know, I, I assume that you would go into the city or somewhere. Like, where was your exposure to art coming from in such a small town setting? I mean, oh, yeah. were you a product of the internet or? Um. So I, when I, I did go to art school for one year at, at this place called Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design. 
which is where my father also went back in the 80s. And back when he went to it, it wasn't accredited. It was just more freeform. Like he would describe it as like a bohemian type school where all the teachers were all drunk and drinking cocktails all day and hanging out with students and you just did whatever you wanted. But by the time I went in 2007, it was super accredited. So they were making me take math classes and shit and like grading my art super hard. And so I was just kind of uh, feeling pissed off about that. So I would, I was kind of a shithead to my teachers. And so my, all of my memory of that one year being in art school is just like turning in essays, like talking, sh- like we're like talking shit directly to the teacher and uh, just being drunk and high in class all the time, falling, falling asleep in class. Hell yeah. Okay. So after I went there, I got my first job when I was like 19 years old at Target. So I worked at Target for a little while. <laughs> and then uh, and then from that point, it started about 13 to 15 years of just working in the service industry. Oh, yeah. Restaurants and bars. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, worked, yeah, I, yeah. I got my first job in Denver proper in the cool part of Denver. And it was at a Greek restaurant. And if anybody's ever read my graphic novel, Angloid, my first graphic novel, that graphic novel is based a lot in reality. And a lot of the things that happen in that graphic novel are things that actually happened to me in my early 20s when I was... Oh, okay. Interesting. When I was working in my first first jobs down in Denver. But I stayed, I stayed at most of my restaurant jobs for like three to five years at a time. So, so I've only really worked in like four or five different restaurants. But um, then I got my art career started very well off of that first restaurant job called Pete's Greek Town on Colfax Avenue. And I really lucked out because it just so happened to be right across the street from the shittiest art gallery ever called Ism Gallery. Hell yeah. And that guy probably kind of a predatory margo my my cat is screaming at me i gotta get her out of here but uh <laughs> the, the guy the guy who ran that gallery it's kind of like gross but it kind of worked out for me i was a young girl and he was an old pervert and he mm. let me mm. show show in his gallery and that's how i got my art career started funny enough but he was a weirdo he like lived in the gallery in like a little illegally you're not supposed to do that Right. He he was like on the download living in the gallery and he had a little mattress shoved inside of a closet in the gallery and he had like a space heater that was pointed to his ass during the night. So it was pointed <laughs> into such a concentrated area on his ass that his skin started like bubbling and he showed oh it to me. Oh my god. <laughs> but I sh- I showed there for like for like probably three or four years, like on and off. And it, it, I don't, I don't understand how this guy kept the gallery open. I think maybe he was like dealing drugs out of the back. Cause mm-hmm. he was never selling. He sold, I sold a couple of my paintings through him, but um, actually the last I talked to him, he owed me about $800 from selling my paintings. And I'm pretty sure he used the money to buy meth. Oh fuck. But, okay. Yeah. Wow. yeah. But the gallery wow. had like crap all over the floor, just trash strewn all over the floor all the time. And so anyway, that's how I got my start. And I actually met my husband, my now my now husband, my current husband at the the coffee shop that was next to the gallery. So like all of my life started on this block right here. Yeah. Um on Colfax. So 
I'm assuming that you were painting first and studying painting in school. Yes. Um, Well, I started painting before I went to school. When I went to art college, I learned a little bit at art college, but it was more of a networking thing for me when I went to art college. I met a lot of important people that I still talk to today, but um, I didn't. I didn't actually learn anything. I kind of had like a a shitty attitude of superiority when I went to art school, which is funny to look back at, but I I don't, I've grown out of that. But um, I was painting before I went to art school. I started painting in about 11th grade in high school. And my high school art teacher was so impressed by my painting abilities that he gave me my own studio in the back of the classroom. Oh, that's cool. Out of an old closet. Yeah, like he cleared the the closet out for me so I could paint back there. But the art supplies we used in my my high school classroom were really bad. Like every canvas I used was already used by somebody else and I just had to paint over it. And just like scraping the bottom of a paint tube for the last of the paint. Just like like no funding, I'm assuming, to the... Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I didn't... I, I always wanted to become a cartoonist. Like when I was a kid, I would read the newspaper every day and I would read the comics in the newspaper. And those were my first inspirations, the daily newspaper comics. And I, and I always fantasized about someday making my own newspaper comic. And then when I was a teenager, like 18, 17, 18, my dad showed me the Crumb documentary and it opened up a whole new world in my mind of what comics could be. Yeah. Because I had no idea. I didn't know about underground comics until that moment. And it was amazing. Like... Like he, he's amazing. And everybody that he talked to in that documentary is amazing and just super inspiring to me. So, um, and it's totally okay if you don't want to talk about this, but was your father like an artist? Cause he went to the same school and he's shown you this crumb stuff. Like, did you have exposure to, you know, different art that he had in the house or anything like that? Yeah. 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 I'm okay to talk about my dad. I, okay. I hate him, but I'll, I'll talk about him. But, um, yeah, he's an artist. Uh, he was a commercial artist actually. Well, he was a painter before he accidentally got my mom pregnant with me when they were both 23 years old. So I think that changed the trajectory of my dad's life in a way that he didn't like because um, basically it's funny because I feel like I'm living my dad's dream right now. And um, I think there might have been a little bit of jealousy about that. But um, he, yeah, he after he got my mom knocked up with me, he switched to a commercial artist and he opened his own. He started his own company of commercial graphic design, but he had a focus in haunted houses. So oh, he okay. he did Hell a lot yeah. of uh, horror horror art. So our our house was like filled with horror art decor, like from the old black and white movies, like the um, like the Universal classic, Monsters classic era. Exactly. Yep. We had like yeah. busts of Universal Monsters. But uh, a thing my dad liked to do, he liked to scare me and my brother. So he would like bring home props. The best example of this is that one time he brought home a big life size prop of what. I remember to be the girl from The Exorcist, like climbing with her head backwards. Oh, shit. Like on the stairs? Yes. And he set it up on the wall of the of the stairwell oh no and he waited yeah. each person to turn into the stairwell to see it and it like scared the fucking crap out of everybody <laughs> yeah and, that's the movie that <laughs> fucked up with me like fucked me up the most as a child so that would have gotten me for sure yep yep and he he would take us to haunted houses when we were like six years old like adult haunted houses <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mm. i was like eight i think 
from this memory I'm remembering, but my brother was six years old when he brought us to an adult haunted house. Mm. And it's, yeah, life changing, life changing. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like, uh, I guess this is just me asking, um, a lot of your work feels like very real, you know, and you mentioned Mm -hmm. working in the service industry and like, you can definitely tell you've done time there just because of how organic those interactions are with your characters in those settings and some of your previous work. But do you ever think you'd go into a traditional horror book, uh, you know, given all that stuff you kind of came up with? Just like a question I had. Just um, I think I well, you know, I think the problem is that I don't actually feel like it's possible to make a truly scary graphic novel. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think you got it. I don't, because when you're reading like a scary book like Stephen King. You're using your own imagination so you can get scared shitless, but I have a hard time imagining getting scared from somebody's drawings. Right. So I don't think I don't think I would actually ever attempt to make like a horror comic that where I was actually trying to scare somebody like Stephen King would, but I like the idea of like psychological horror, like just thinking of the things that we all live through every day, the realities of being human and what's on the other side of the veil, you know. I like that. Yeah that kind of like psychedelic horror that I I might, I think that's kind of what I'm trying to go for in the devil's grin. I'm not trying to like scare anybody necessarily, but I'm trying to, to like reveal something that, that we all know to be true. That's psychologically scary maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be concentrating on that for the rest of my life. I, I do like to make creepy paintings. I like creepiness and I like to, like scare myself when I'm working on something, but I'm not intending to like give anybody nightmares or anything. For sure. So one thing that I do want to, you know, kind of talk to you about is um, the distribution model of The Devil's Grin, mm-hmm. because it does come out traditionally uh, via floppy. And you were kind of trailblazing uh, when it came to the pandemic. It was like you and Simon posting daily and everybody was so locked in, um, whether, you know, for better or for worse, because I feel like personally, I I don't know what it's like to be on the other end of that, but y'all's comment sections were crazy, <laughs> like the <laughs> yeah. pandemic. Um, oh, yes. But I feel like you guys kind of brought in the uh, swipe comic. Like people were doing it, but you all were doing it with such regularity. Um, and now everybody's doing it. Yeah. Now, um, but also you're behind a paywall because you're on a sub stack with it. So you're posting mm-hmm. the Devil's Grin. But then, you know, if you pay on Patreon or, you know, Substack, you're able Mm -hmm. to consume it that way. But then it comes out in print. So you've got three different kind of ways of distribution here. And um, do you feel like it's successful? Do you feel like one's working better than the other? I think it I think it all kind of balances out, because if I was just doing one of the three methods, I would probably have to be looking for a job right now. Um, But each each individual side of it, like, okay, so they all, they all like feed each other. Like when I post it to Instagram, 30 to 60 pages behind the, the uh, sub stack that gets people interested in the story who otherwise wouldn't even know about it. And that gets me more eyes on my work. And then the people who are reading the Instagram might get frustrated that I'm posting it so slowly. So then they throw me $5 on Substack to go read it. But then the people who don't want to do either of those two things, but still want to read my comics in the physical form, are going to throw me some money for the floppy. So it's a lot of work. It's kind of like a full-time job just maintaining all of that, but it, it's keeping me afloat. So it's worth, it's worth all the work. 
Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm a really big fan of the model because like you said, you're kind of scratching all the itches there. You're literally mm-hmm. covering every customer base, the people that don't necessarily want to pay for comics and want to read it for free, um, who might support you down the line. And then you've yep. also got, you know, your print purists as well as the people that do want to directly support you month to month. So, um, you know, I don't necessarily want to say it's uh, reinventing the wheel, but it is definitely tinkering with the formula to where it's impressive from an outsider looking in. Oh, and I you. think that, yeah, more people, I mean, like I said, you all already kind of ushered in that whole swipe thing. And I think that more people are going to just kind of follow that. So I think it's kind of yeah. like the quote unquote future of distribution with independent comics. Mm-hmm. You know, something I learned early on in my comics career, I think it started in my comics career rather than my painting career, is that when you give people something for free just because you want them to experience it not because you want money like you're making art because you want other people to share in this moment with you not because you want money people really really appreciate that and they become a fan for life i had this old comic series called cosmic being and there are a couple issues of that that i made on photocopiers that I did attempt to sell at first, but they weren't selling very well. So I went around to all the coffee shops in Denver and put them into the the magazine displays for people to take for free. And some of those people that found those free comics in those coffee shops back then are still collecting my shit today. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have this fan base without that start of just giving shit away for free. It's an investment. Yeah. I mean the whole like, you know, saying of you got to spend money to make money. It's totally true. Like no matter where you are, you know, or what profession you choose to do, um, if you're trying to invest in yourself anyways. Yep, exactly. Going back to your background as a painter, were there any particular people that you were looking to uh, for inspiration, uh, artists that uh, you were following or were interested in their work? Yes. When I was in uh, high school, my very first inspiration was a man named Odd Nerdrum, mm-hmm. a Norwegian painter. Have you ever heard of him? I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, he he was my very first inspiration. And a painting that I won a Scholastic Gold Key Award with in high school, and I got to go to New York and receive my award on Con- Carnegie Hall was inspired by Odd Nerdrum. And when you look at it, it doesn't really compare, except if you consider his repetition of poses that he does mm-hmm. but it's not like i'm knocking off his work or anything but you can tell that it's inspired by it right so that's where i got my first first start and my first hint of where i wanted to go with the direction of my aesthetic and then from there let's see even today i still really love grandma moses and um I have a really hard time coming up with names right off of the. Um, <laughs> That's <bat>. all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I get it. But yeah, Odd Nerdrum was definitely the first, the first one. And how much of your style or approach has changed since then to today? Oh, it's been with when I introduced cartooning into my routine. Mm-hmm. That started informing my painting. Okay. And then the painting started informing my cartooning, and over the years they bounced back and forth. Right. And now they're kind they they kind of like have a similar. They didn't really have a super similar feel at first. They were very separate. But over the years, as I kept jumping back and forth between them, they kept informing each other. And now my paintings have an element of cartooning in them, and my car- cartooning has an element of painting in it. 
Yeah, I th- I think that is very clear in your work in that there is like a mm-hmm. there is a through line between the two to the point where there almost isn't really a division. Mm-hmm. Yep. One problem though is that the fact that I I still draw comics from a painterly way. Yeah. Is that when I'm painting and I make a mistake, I can just paint over it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So when I'm when right. I'm drawing comics, when I'm drawing comics, I allow myself to make as many mistakes as I want and then just go over it in white, but that doesn't always look great. Sure. <laughs> but when I do that with painting, when I do that with painting, I can correct it to the point where nobody even knows I made a mistake, but you can't really do that with ink. Yeah. And comics, so a little less forgiving. That's a habit I need to get them. Yep, exactly. Mhm. So you mentioned, you know, you kind of take a painterly approach to comics. Is it hard for you to change gears when jumping from one to the other? I think just what I mentioned, the only gear I should have to change is try to make less mistakes and be a little less sloppy, sloppy and loose, which I love to make art when I'm stoned. Like I just, it's, it's the best fucking thing in the world. Like I live to get stoned and make art. Like Mm -hmm. that's all I ever want to do for the rest of my life. But the thing is when I'm stoned, I just want to make every line that my heart desires right when I desire it and not pre-plan sometimes. So uh, that works for painting. That's great for painting. Um, not so great for comics, like I was just talking about. But Yeah, yeah, that, that makes total sense. You know, like comics are so super structured and rigid in a way. Mm-hmm. Yep. So my comic, my comics, I like, I, I'm not super regretful of it, but the, my comics do have like a kind of sloppiness to it. And Nate, I was talking to Nate Garcia about this recently when he came to stay with me for um, short run, and he's like, "But your sloppiness looks like it's intentional." And I'm like, "Well, I'm glad it looks like it's intentional because it's not. I wish they weren't so sloppy, but um, can't <laughs> well, seem to get away from it." I think it might just be because the volume that your projects come out with, like, and I think you've just cultivated your own style with it at this point. Yeah. You know, so I think that's probably why it looks like that. Yeah, I'm glad it I'm glad it comes across that way. But, yeah. Um, for sure. I do have to redraw a lot of panels in the end because another thing that I like to do is when I intend to work in a day, I intend to work all day until I pass out. So I will oh, okay. I will start drawing at like 1 p.m. and then I'll push it until 9 p.m. until I absolutely cannot make another mark. And in those last few hours are when I make a lot of mistakes, but I cannot, (laughs) I cannot control myself. Like I got, I have to keep drawing. I have to keep drawing. So it's not like I'm going to do a page today and then I'm done. Like you have no off switch. It's just until I'm tired. Well, after I finished Dog Biscuits, I said with my next book, I'm only going to do one page a day and that's it. Because after I finished Dog Biscuits, I was so wrecked. My body was in so much pain and Mm -hmm. tired. But as soon as I start working on the devil's grin again, I start doing it again. I just can't help myself. I can't, I can't stop. Wow. I just want to keep, because like drawing and painting are seriously all I care about in life. And that's when I'm the most happy. Like I, that's when I'm the most myself is when I'm alone and drawing and just vibing out and listening to music. So I just don't ever want to stop. Like I don't, because when I stop, I have to like go figure out what movie I'm going to watch or something that's going to be half as fun as me (laughs) coming up with my own story. (laughs) So to create balance here, do you have like certain days where you're like, okay, today's an art day, today's an off day. Like, do you set a schedule for yourself? I know it's kind of a boring question, but how do you create that balance if you're like working like that? 
Well, my body kind of forces me to create that balance because um, I don't know if maybe me pushing myself to the limit has caused me to develop this problem, but I have a woman's problem called PMDD where for about two weeks of every month, I cannot do anything I, except lay in bed. So, oh, okay. so it's built in, it's a built in feature in my body where, um, for two weeks I go as hard as possible. And that's probably one of the reasons why I do go as hard as possible too, because I know that this time is coming to an end and I'm going to have to go lay in bed for two weeks right? and just twiddle, twiddle my thumbs and wait to feel better. So it's, yep, it's a built in feature where I am forced to rest, but actually um, even though I resent it when it's happening and I'm, I hate it when I'm laying there in bed and un, unable to make art and I see all my peers like drawing in their Instagram stories and I'm like, oh my God, I wish I was doing that right now. But, um, <laughs> but I actually, it allows me to marinate on some ideas that would otherwise have not be as good because I sit there and I stew on those ideas until they move forward and they get better and I can't. I can't work on them and I can't like overwork them or I can't like jump on them before they're ready. So it's actually good. It's actually a good thing. Interesting. Yeah. So during that downtime, you're able to kind of reflect on stuff and there's some like, there's some like drafting going on. Absolutely. I think a lot of the ideas in my comics would not be as good or as developed if I didn't have that forced downtime because I'd be just, I'd just be shitting them out onto the page before they're ready, you know, because I, can't stop myself i have to be sitting at the desk drawing all the time so yeah so um i do want to get into like you know because we have questions and i think we have quite a few so that'll like uh wrap us up at the end but before we get there though as far as like you know what you see in the future i know you're working on the devil's grin you're Mm -hmm. knee deep in that i'm assuming there's probably going to be a book down the line uh that's just kind of been the pattern for your work um are you already you know thinking about what's next or are you kind of in the moment What's next is that I'm definitely going to take a few years off from doing graphic novels. I might do some short comics here and there, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to take like maybe three years to five years off from doing graphic novels and just focus mostly on painting because painting is a full body activity for me. So it doesn't hurt my body. Yeah. Painting would never give me the pain that I'm currently experiencing in my left arm that I got I developed this pain last month when I was trying to finish up part three of the devil's grin, like going at it way too hard. Either that or I had wrapped up four paintings to ship in one day. And then I started working on the devil's grin really hard. So it could have been a a number of things, but painting would never treat me this way. (laughs) Painting never makes me feel bad, never hurts my back, but it still gives me the same psychological distress when I'm going to bed at night and I haven't finished something, but painting is a more joyful activity that cartooning. It can be very poisonous to the body. It hurts. It's, it's not natural to sit there Mm -hmm. for so many hours every day, drawing tiny little details. I kind of, you know, I don't want to, I don't mean, you know, to get in your head with this next question, but, you know, you're about to take a substantial period of time away, which I think is great for all the reasons you just explained. Mm -hmm. Plus, your paintings are so incredible. Like, I honestly have it like my partner and I are going to buy a house and it's like the one thing I want to get is one of your paintings for the house. Like I have already told her. So, yeah. So it's like, you know, like I'm a big fan of your work, um, the paintings. But I feel like 
you posted so frequently, you understand probably more than anybody that uh, comics, especially indie comics, to kind of mm-hmm. stay relevant nowadays, like it seems like it's a rat race yeah. to constantly be posting something. Do you have any fear mm-hmm. of taking a step away? You know what? I say that I'm going to take however many years mm-hmm. off, but I'm certain I know myself well enough to know that I'm going to be sitting there watching all of my peers and my nemeses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> furthering their careers and making comics and telling stories and I'm going to start getting that I have an insane competitive urge and uh it cannot be tamed. So, you know what? I say that I'm going to take some time off from cartooning, but maybe it won't take, be as long as I think. Because that that year after Dog Biscuits that I spent just doing commissions before I started The Devil's Grin was painful for me. For those reasons I just mentioned. So we'll see. The only reason I really do want to take time off from cartooning is because I mentioned it hurts my body. Yeah, you definitely need a break if it's, you know, getting yeah. to that point for sure. Mm-hmm. Going back to the point of the scale that you're drawing and how that kind of contributes to, uh, you know, the the issues that you're having or you're running into. Have you ever thought about working larger? I mean, like what uh, I guess my question is, what size are you working at with your pages? I'm working on eight and a half by 11 printer paper. Okay. And uh, the only reason, okay, there's two reasons I do that. It's because, first of all, I need to be able to, if I'm doing a scene where the same position is being repeated over and over, I need to be able to trace. Yeah. So printer paper, I can see through. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I cannot find a fucking scanner that scans larger than eight and a half by 11. Okay. Yeah. So that... Because Angloid, when I did Angloid, I somehow had a scanner that was like 11 by 17 or something. And then I, I, in my idiocy and my my lack of patience, I would scan things before the ink was dry. So the fucking scanner, (laughs) the scanner (laughs) platen was just covered in fucking ink. So I had to replace that. And when I did, I could not find any more 11 by 17 scanners. So I'm, I've got a little scanner. Gotcha. Yeah. 11 by 17 scanners, I feel like are. They're either super expensive or Mm -hmm. they are barely usable. Yep. And and there's only a few that I can think of that are like price range wise, not incredibly expensive, but you usually have to find them used because they don't make them anymore, or at least uh, not to the point where you can find them in retail regularly. Yep. Uh, So, because, yeah, this is a problem I've run into because I I definitely work larger than that size, but uh, scanning it is a pain in the ass. Yeah, scanning, scanning and putting it on the computer are things that I want to keep as easy and like like one step as possible because usually I'm stoned and when I'm stoned, I don't like dealing with electronics. I get paranoid when I'm touching my phone or a computer, so when I'm scanning, I just want it to be like scan, done. Yeah. Put it away. Right. I don't want to have to like put four pieces of an image together or yeah, anything like that. So and it, yeah, I I always see cartoonists like posting like, hey, does anybody know where I can get a, a bigger size scanner? Like, it seems like it's a problem for everybody. I don't know why nobody makes these scanners. I, I'd imagine it, like it's likely because these manufacturers know that like um, the demand in the marketplace for something like that in terms of like going large scale, like 11 by 17 or even bigger than that. Those are usually for uh, like archival purposes, from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people will use them for uh, books, book plates, uh, film, that kind of stuff. 
And as a result, they don't really invest a whole lot on that end to marketing to those people because they know they already have like this established base of uh, customers, the the day-to-day kind of like office workers and just like people who just need a regular uh, standard size scanner. Right. There is a gap in the market, though, that I think, like, I personally, I use a, a, a an Epson, I know this is getting boring, but whatever. Uh, I use an <laughs> Epson V550, which is just shy of 11 by 17. It's not, oh, it's not small, okay. but uh, it's big enough so that I can usually scan just one pass. Every once in a while, there will be an instance where I need to scan it twice, which, you know, whatever, it's fine. But right. uh, have you, uh, yeah. you know, speaking on that, you 100% work analog is that right what's analog? or sorry like no uh, ipads no digital or work any yeah, yes no, no. mostly uh sometimes like yesterday i did all the editing for um the devil's grin 3 i just finished mm-hmm. it last night right right when i went to bed it's uh it's like 70 pages and on one page i did take there's a part there's a panel where there's something written on a chalkboard and um, the writing on the chalkboard wasn't following the angle of the chalkboard. So I did go digitally and skew that a little bit down so that it yep, followed okay. the angle. See, but that that I only allow myself like one little cheat like that every once in a while. I want to keep most of it mm. so that it looks exactly like it does on the paper besides cleaning it up. But yeah, every once in a while I'll do on the Devil's Grin 2. There was a couple of panels that I drew where the person was like facing the wrong way to where they were supposed to be walking. And you know what I did? I took a picture of that panel with my iPhone and I printed it out on my printer and I, or I flipped it and then I printed it on my printer and pasted it back down. So that's, that's how committed you are to, yeah, that's crazy. So that's the, cool. that I, <laughs> yeah. But I have a guilt for cheating. I consider it cheating for myself. Like for other uh-huh. people, I don't, I don't know. It's not cheating, but for myself, I have standards of keeping it organic that I feel guilty if I cheat, so I try not to. And is that just like some kind of like, you know, inner rule, or is that maybe a monetary decision because you're like, hey, you know, I can sell this, you know, and it doesn't have a big chunk missing out of it? Like, I uh, think it's the way my dad raised me. He, mm -hmm. I I don't exactly remember. It's It's from very far back, the idea of not cheating. I don't know exactly where it came from. I think it might have been from my dad, but it's been there for a really long time, the idea of not cheating and keeping it organic. Um, but also, yeah, there's a there's an element of uh, there. There was one instance where in Cosmic Cosmic Being Two was was published by Kilgore Books, uh, Dan Stafford, and there was a page out of there that Dan Stafford wanted to buy, and I sold it to him. But unfortunately, that page I had done a lot of editing and moving things around digitally. So I'm sure when he got the page, he was like, "This doesn't look." like the one that's in the book it like was probably covered in white paint like white like the grossest chunkiest white out and things aren't centered and just so i've always had a guilt from that moment of selling somebody a page that doesn't look like the page that's in the comic so i try to keep them the same yeah it totally makes sense hell yeah i think that the attitude of keeping stuff th- like on the paper and doing very little revisions in post kind of checks out in terms of like your background as a painter Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you want everything on there as the object in its physical form and that's what it is and if you take a a photo of it or if you scan it you're still referencing like the actual thing right as is and with comics i mean like you know so many people are moving towards digital 
speaking for myself, that's what happened to me. I, I slowly but surely moved in that direction just because I didn't want to deal with the, the clutter all the time. Mm-hmm. I already have enough clutter as is. Yeah. But uh, do you ever see yourself going more digital at any point in time? Well, or, I guess like experimenting with it as a medium. This goes back to my use of marijuana because ever since <laughs> I first started using marijuana when I was uh, 18 years old or something, the first thing that happens when I get high is that I don't want to be around any electronics at all. I want them away from me. Okay. I cover up my TVs. I'm, I just become like, I, I become a caveman again. And these electronics are foreign to me. And there, there's like th- little things spying on me in them. So that's like the first thing that happens when I get high and I like to get high and make art. So I think making digital art is way out of the question for me. But, um, you know, something that does occur to me is like the environmental impact of making physical art, (laughs) but just like, like the environmental impact of everything we do, you know, like living, breathing, just eating, you know, whatever. But like, that does occur to me when I make art and when I am stoned, because when I'm stoned, I think about stuff like that. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I hate, I hate the computer because of this, but also I'm using this pre-made canvas that was made in a factory and all these paints that are basically plastic, you know, it's just like, yeah, there's no winning. But yeah. Well, like what's the other alternative? It's like, what you're going to, you're going to make your own canvases. Yeah. I've done, I've done that. Yeah. But then like who made the canvas that you're stretching? I mean, it's part of your schooling. Obviously. Yeah. 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 I've, I've, I've made my own canvases, but it's like at that point, you might as well be mi- mixing your own pigments in your paint and you might as well be like, right. Like sewing your own canvas. I don't even know how they make canvas, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, if you get down to it, like you might as well just like go live on a farm and just farm all your own materials. And right. <laughs> just... It takes like a whole year to make one canvas or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I, uh, I, I ran into that thing where there was a period where I had to make all of my canvases. I could not use mm-hmm. pre-made ones. And eventually I, I got over that. Yep. <laughs> it's just not practical. I went I went through that phase too because I did have a teacher in art college mm-hmm. who would uh like criticize students for not making their own canvas and just be like, Oh, you you have a store bought canvas. So like that guy's voice is always ringing through my head and he also <laughs> taught us to make our own like pigments and stuff. Yeah. Like he he's like a super purist, you know, like it it's not really your art unless you made your own canvas. So, like, I still have that vo- that guy's voice, like, ringing through my head when I'm making stuff sometimes. Like, is this really mine if I'm painting on some canvas that somebody else made? You know? Yeah. I mean, it is. But, it is. But I think, uh, yeah. I think like, the, the, the skill set of knowing how to do that is important, too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If, if somebody was, like, a professional artist, but they'd never stretched their own canvas, I'd kind of side-eye them a little right. bit. Right. Right. Yeah. Paying your dues. <laughs> exactly well it, it was like uh you know people that are really into photography if you've never worked in film never been in a dark room right usually the legitimacy of you as an artist right. is kind of declined at that point yep exactly uh all right so i guess we got a, a good number of listener questions right cam yeah, we did. So let's go ahead and get into those. All righty. So it's that portion of the show where we uh, present our guests with listener questions. And as always, if you want to follow along with the show, uh, you can hit us up on social media at Gutter Boys Pod. And uh, before we have a guest on, we always put up a little questionnaire box and you can ask them there or you can send us an email at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. But uh, let's get started here. Uh, first question, not really a question, but a comment from uh, Jairo Lantigua. He said, not a question, but a comment. You're all awesome. 
Oh, all, <laughs> all of right. us. Yeah, Hyro's a good dude. Uh, yeah, awesome. Thank you, Hyro. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Hyro. We appreciate you. you, brother. Yeah. All righty. Uh, real question, though, and this is on every episode. Uh, Nate Garcia <laughs> asked, Alex, what did you have for breakfast? Be honest. Oh, <laughs> Uh, today I haven't had anything because I usually sleep till like 1230 and we're recording it at 12. So uh, I had to wake up early. So I've only had some coffee so far today, but I thought about, I thought about having a pop tart, but I didn't. What's your favorite pop tart flavor? Uh, we get, uh, one of those not as good organic brands in our yeah, yeah. produce produce delivery box. It de- definitely does not taste like the GMO or the um, like the additive laden pop tarts from the store. Those are good. These are all right. <laughs> They're kind of dry. <laughs> Do they try to at least like mimic like the frosting with the little sprinkles and everything? Yeah, the frosting is the only good part about it. But I like to pretend <laughs> I'm eating a, nor- a normal pop tart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> a cancer pop tart that's brand allegiance right there (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh next question is from past guest friend of the show alex Nall. shout out to alex oh alex i love alex yeah Uh, he's a sweetheart everybody loves alex uh he asked how do you work through pain and i I know we touched (laughs) on this a bit but uh uh, um how do i work through pain i just keep going until until I'm done. Okay, so I so I got this arm pain all of a sudden last month. It was probably the worst. It probably is coming from my neck. I probably pinched a, a nerve and mm-hmm. uh it forced me to take a couple days off even though I was only 2 pages away from finishing The Devil's Grin 3. So it was excruciating for me. And then mm-hmm. uh one one day I got up and I went to a chiropractor and he like didn't seem to think it was a big deal, so I came home and immediately started drawing the last couple pages and the posture that I had when I was drawing those last couple pages was I was like leaning all the way back in my chair and like having to like look at my page from like from like two feet away two and a half feet away so it it was probably the slowest I have drawn a page you know ever so basically the answer to the question is I just grin and bear it and I just try to because the pain I have a pretty high pain tolerance and I want to be working on artwork more than anything else in the world. So I just, just work through it, but try not to make it worse. What kind of surface are you working on when you work on your drawings? I have a, rec- what do you call it? Reclining desk. That's, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think it goes up quite high enough. It has like seven notches on it and the highest notch is still not like quite high enough. So like almost 45. Yeah. So it's, it, it doesn't, uh, there's no way for me to add another notch or anything because it's metal. So I might, I might have to. Alex Schubert recommended me getting a standing desk. So I'm thinking about doing that, but mm. I don't want to shell out any more, any more money for it right now. Yeah, right. drawing tables are ridiculously expensive. Yep. Yeah, and my my husband got this one for me um, last year for my birthday, so it has sentimental value too. Sure. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Alrighty, well, next question came from Instagram user uh, Legrando. Is it nice writing a story set in a different time period after doing something modern like Dog Biscuits? Oh, yes. So I have a thing about the reason. I, so my first graphic novel, Angloid, was set in 1993, even though the events all happened in around like 2010 to 2014, because I didn't want to 
incorporate cell phones into the story because um, at the time I, so I was the last person I knew to get a smartphone because I resented them so much. It seemed like everybody I knew started getting smartphones and all of a sudden they were completely disengaged from society and I would be hanging out with them and they'd just be staring at their phone instead of talking to me. And so I had a huge resentment of that. But the person who finally convinced me to get a smartphone in 2015 was Noah Van Skyver because he said that it would help my career. So he, he was the one who had me bite the apple. He was the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And then, uh, yep, I've been a smartphone fiend ever since. But anyway, the, that's why I like writing stories that aren't in the present time. Also because I am obsessed with music that happened in the 70s, music that came out in the 70s. I, I chose the year 1974 to set the devil's grin in because my favorite album, uh, Diamond Dogs by David Bowie, came out that year. What kind of stuff are you into from the 70s besides Bowie? Oh my God, everything. Everything that can, I just uh, recently started getting into heart. The songs I was listening to from heart were from, more from the 80s, but um, I love uh, glam, I love all the glam rock. I love, um, well, I was obsessed. I was completely obsessed with David Bowie. Like everybody has their Bowie phase, but my Bowie phase was like between 2012 to 2018, where I was completely like literally obsessed with David Bowie. And so I, I've listened to everything under that umbrella, but I feel like I keep discovering more and more Jim Croce recently I've been getting into and uh, I was really sad. <laughs> Funny moment, I was listening, I was reading Jim Croce's um, Wikipedia page and I started crying because the song I've Got a Name came out two days after he died in a plane crash. And uh, my husband walked in right as I was crying and he's like, why are you crying? And I was like, Jim Croce died. And he's like, recently? <laughs> no. <laughs> like 30 or 40 years ago. But yeah, I just, I love all that music from back then. Hell yeah. Okay, uh, next question is from Instagram user Carlito 8 They ask, how much freedom did you get when designing your Shemaze Balls album covers? <laughs> uh, that was awesome. The only reason I even agreed to do that was because Doug March from Built to Spill gave me complete freedom. Because anytime I do a commission, and I've done a lot of them where people have like very specific requests... I have the worst time. Like I've never been more miserable in my life than when I'm working on a commission with too many perimeters. Yeah. 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 I, I hate, I hate doing art that is somebody else's idea. I mm -hmm, want it to be mm -hmm. the, the only, like I have fun doing art, complete freedom. When I have complete freedom, there's no more fun I can possibly have in the world. But when somebody gives me too many perimeters, Oh my God, I'm never more miserable. I end up crying every time. <laughs> but yeah, the Doug, uh, the Built to Spill album, Doug, Doug gave me complete freedom. And along the way, I like showed him drafts and stuff. I was still struggling though, even though like even though he gave me complete freedom, I was still struggling because I want them to like it, you know, and right. I want them to <laughs> to genuinely like it. So I still did have that existential struggle, but I'm very pleased with the final outcome. Yeah, it looks great. Um, I actually bought it just for your artwork. I mean, Built to Spill is fine, you know, but I wasn't, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if I would have checked out a new Built to Spill record had I not <laughs> known that you were doing the art. Uh, not a diss to them, you know, yeah, just yeah, yeah. wouldn't have been on my radar. And also, I like that uh, you're continuing the longstanding tradition of uh, independent cartoonists working on sub pop albums. So I'm glad that's still yeah. a thing. That, that was actually moving out here, like my two goal. Well, the sub pop 
sub pop wasn't actually a goal for me. It was just a distant dream. Like I love sub pop. I love everything they do. And I've like idolized them way before I moved out here. So like when that became a reality, I was like, wow. And then the, the other, my main goal moving out to Seattle was to get published by Fanographics. Right. Damn, we'll look at you. Woo. When I first moved out here, I was not ready. Um, <laughs> I had to I had to hang out with some cartoonists who are way better than me and try to work up to their level. And I finally got much better from being around those cartoonists. So I'm really glad that they allowed me to be near them. Hey, it's an inspirational story. Yeah. I will say, going to the Seattle airport for the first time and seeing the Sub Pop store in the airport, that was very jarring. Oh, wow. They have that? Is it a record store? <laughs> yeah, it's yep. like a mini record store. That's cool. In what looks like a space for Starbucks or, you know, like any like convenience shop that they usually Retail have front. with like keychains yeah. and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Eric Reynolds convinced the Sub Pop stores to carry dog biscuits. And uh, yes, yeah. somebody, somebody sent him a picture from the airport Sub Pop store of dog biscuits with a piece of paper on it that was like, not for children. Not for dog lovers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so funny. That makes sense. And that's like the, the most broad audience you could imagine. An uh, airport. Uh-huh. Yeah, in an airport. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the cover, I'm sure little kids, like, out of out of all the book covers, I'm sure little kids are going to hone in right on that one. Right. So. Right. Yeah, it looks like, you know, to them it's like a cartoon or something. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. I love dogs. Yep. I love biscuits. This is clearly yeah. for me. Yep. <laughs> yep. Bright colors. Yep. Cartoons. All righty. Next question came from Instagram user Pete Kozak. Uh, what was the first thing you read that got you hyped about making comics? Oh, Weirdo Magazine. Weird- Weirdo Comics. Mm, okay. I lo- I start collect because uh, I lived down the street from Kilgore Books when I lived in Denver, and they carried all um, all the not originals. They were reprints of the Weirdo comics, and I would go in there and buy a couple at a time. Or whenever I saw they were carrying a new one, I would buy them, and uh, I just I have I wasn't able to collect all of them, but um, all the ones that I did have, I have them like memorized because I read them front to back, and um, it was crazy like. Uh, Phoebe Gleckner, who was in there, like she, I was so amazed that she chose uh, an excerpt from Angloid to be in the Best American Comics 2018. And I was like, her? Like, I fucking love her. I've I've memorized her comics that were in the Weirdo magazines and stuff like that. So yeah, definitely a weirdo. Following years and years of all my adolescence of reading the newspaper comics, like uh, Garfield and the Fusco Brothers. I love the Fusco Brothers by J.C. Duffy. That was a newspaper comic that they had in Denver. Don't know if it was everywhere, though. Hell yeah. Just to get this one out of the way, Stellsworth said, no questions, but very excited for this episode. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you, Stellsworth. Hell yeah. And hey, hey, yeah. hey, and, uh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Next question is from a uh, friend of the show. And I'm assuming probably future guest at some point. Uh, yeah, we'll get Abby yeah, Kaysen. But, uh, sure. Abby Kaysen, a.k.a. mild underscore pain on Instagram. She asked, how does music influence your creative process and any music recommendations? Oh, so now we're getting specific here. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So when I'm painting or drawing, a lot of other people that I know like to like watch TV or watch movies or listen to podcasts. I can't do that. I have to listen to music and I connect the music on a soul level. Like I just tap into it and it really gets me pumped up. I love it so much. And uh, I do use Spotify, but but uh, the caveat is that I only listen to mostly musicians who are dead or already have way too much money. So they're not worried about losing money by me <laughs> listening to Spotify. Yeah. 
I mean, I, every year on my Spotify recap, the Rolling Stones are always at the top. Like, I've listened to everything they've done probably way too much. And, like, when I can't think of anything else to put on, I always put on the Rolling Stones. They're a real blind spot for me. Um, what's a good, like, starter record for them? Uh, okay, well, their Satanic Majesty's Request is something that I listened to for the first time when I was at a public pool on mushrooms. And it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. That was their, like, Sergeant Pepper's answer, right? Yeah, or, and like, I guess a lot, or something of, like that. Yeah. a lot of people who were, like, young at the time when the Rolling Stones were, were the thing don't like that album, hmm. um, it seems like. But that's... To me, that's one of my top favorites. And the ghost, Goat's Head Soup, That I have a t-shirt of that one because I love it so much. Um, Sticky Fingers, I would recommend. Those are three three good albums to start with if you are trying to get into the Rolling Stones. Yeah, for sure. I, I've always been curious about the Satanic Majesty one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you co-sign it, I'll definitely check that one out. Oh yeah, I love that one. I love it so much that I almost can't even listen to it anymore unless it's been like almost a year since I last listened to it because I've listened to it so much. Right, right. Yeah, I've got a couple records like that mm. for sure. Yep. We Hell should yeah. do a mixtape trade at some point, all of us. Yeah, playlist yeah. trade. Hell yeah, I guess playlist. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I'm old-fashioned, yeah. I guess. Because <laughs> I still... Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely made tapes and CDs back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I <laughs> yeah. can just upload one on Dropbox and send it to you guys, so... Yeah, that's what's up. Well, uh, last question uh, came from friend of the show, and uh, maybe now that you're feeling better, Derek, you can finally come on. Derek Ballard asked, uh, bring in this full circle with the callback, what 1980s song by heart goes the hardest? <laughs> <laughs> well, he already knows because he uh, we were DMing about this uh, the other day, so he already knows the answer. I, I posted it on my Instagram stories. It's, um God, I forgot the name of it. <laughs> the one where she's like, she's like, uh, fuck. He already knows the answer because we were talking about it in our DM. I, I'm really bad with information recall. My brain is fucked. Like it, it can be a song that I listen to like 20 times in a day. And if you asked me like that day, I would have known it. But my brain just discards so much information. Yeah, I have a lot of brain damage. <laughs> so scroll up, Derek. Go to your DMs yeah, scroll and up. scroll yeah. up, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's one of their top hits. If it's- you want to be successful, make sure you have a pretty decent amount of brain damage yeah the <laughs> yeah. smoother the better uh, i not, speak from experience not great for recording podcasts so <laughs> we should know we should know yeah <laughs> all righty well alex uh you know thank you so much for coming on i'm a big fan of your work so it was great to talk to you but before we do get out of here uh where can people find you online you know anything you want to plug get your stuff you can uh, find, you can go to my website www.alexn as in Noel because that's my middle name gram.com or you can find me on Instagram at alex.gram.artist or um, you can find me on Twitter I'm the first Alex Graham that pops up when you search my name I think you can Google me pretty easily too Are you on Twitter much? Oh man, I used to uh, I used to have a problem with Twitter until a couple of years ago. I had like a public Twitter account with my full ass name, and I would like be <laughs> arguing with people um, during the pandemic. I was like trolling the police with my full fucking name, <laughs> like talking yeah. talking sh- the SPD because I because I was fired up from writing dog biscuits and all the police shit. So I was like, I'm gonna talk right. shit straight to the police's face. <laughs> And then uh, somebody I know um, recently went to jail for a month for things that they're posting on Twitter. 
So um, I, when he told me that, I uh, had flashbacks of a bunch of things I posted on my public Twitter account. But anyway, I deleted that public Twitter account because I would talk shit and then it would start growing like a tumor in my brain. Like, I cannot believe it would like keep me up at night. Like I would I would have like the gall to talk shit. But then th- that night I would be like waking up like, what did I say? What did I say? So I deleted <laughs> yeah. I deleted my public Twitter account and I and then I reopened it. But now I only post art related content on there now no more shit talking gotcha yeah i should probably take note you said you can go to jail for that uh i don't know if you've seen the show (laughs) eastbound and down but um there's a scene where they tell the main character played by danny mcbride like uh they tell him he can die from taking a certain drug and he's like shit you can die from that and when you said that i was like shit you can go to jail for that (laughs) yeah that's exactly the reaction i had when he told me that Because I'm no angel on the internet. I've I've been addicted to the internet. I'm an internet addict and I've been addicted since I was 11 years old and I'm 35 now. So I've done my share of shit talking. The FBI probably has a file on me. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 100%. I hope they're listening. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, shout out to my my personally assigned FBI agent. What's up? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. everybody has their personally assigned FBI agent, right? Yeah. (laughs) I hope mine likes me. He right. thinks I'm funny. <laughs> they love your paintings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why they're leaning on me. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Alex, thanks again for coming on the show. It was uh, really nice getting to finally uh, talk to you on here. Yeah, it was great. Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. And uh, for you, the listener, as always, until next time, stay gutter. Hey, baby, I'm talking to you. Stop yourself and listen. Something.